Welcome to Real Faith, the podcast where we explore the intersection between culture, faith and youth work. I'm Stephen and I'll be your host. Each episode, we'll look at a different film or series and discuss it in depth, exploring the themes within it and how we can use it with the young people we work with. We'll cover everything from action to horror, comic book movies to comedies. So this is episode two of our series on the media that moved us. And today I'm speaking to Dean Pusey, and he'll be talking about Black Panther, the two, the 2018 Marvel Cinematic Universe film. We don't really go into spoilers on this film, so if you haven't seen it, then you should be fine to listen to our episode. But we do make mention to certain scenes that it may be better to have seen the film first to, to really grasp what we're talking about. But enough waffle, let's get on to my conversation with Dean. My son, it is your time. So I'm delighted to be joined on the podcast today by Dean Pusey. Dean, how are you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks, Stephen, and it's great to be with you all. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad that you're able to, to join us today and to discuss Black Panther and, and the impact that it's had on you and, and, and your work and, and outlook. But before we do that, I wonder if you could share a little bit about your youth work background and then also what you're currently up to now. So my youth work background goes back a little bit of a while. I'm, I'm so-called a veteran now in youth ministry, <laughs> going back to the 90s, really, the naughty 90s. And uh, so worked primarily as a volunteer within Pentecostal and Anglican settings, even taught the stuff youth work for the old JNC, for those who are out there mm. back in the day for Oasis. Um, on social inclusion and diversity and I've had a heart for young people for many many years written for Youth Work magazine um, and done various bits and pieces primarily around the local church of uh, running work with young people and uh, encouraging and mentoring those in youth work and ministry. What I'm doing now is I'm now a reverend <laughs> in the Anglican church um, turned Pochacone gamekeeper, but still a significant adult for young people, always there for mentoring, coaching, etc., carrying that with me and just encouraging young people wherever I am and those who accompany them. Great. Thank you, Dean. I'm, I'm just interested in this. It wasn't something I'd, I'd thought to just ask you, but just how you see that difference of, of being a youth worker but in, 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 in DYO that you were doing before and and the difference and and the difference now with with moving into uh, to the ministry and, and curacy and, and, and just how you've you've found that so far uh, it's not been easy because it's you're from a different perspective and vantage point so you're not just an advocate for just young people you're an advocate intergenerationally from cradle mm. to grave where you offer that sort of sacramental life for all people which includes young people so you have a whole panorama that you have to deal with that's a little bit more than just 11 to 25s mm. or tweenies before that it's the whole people of god 
in all their expressions, all their diversities, and what that brings for you as a priest leader, for want of a better way of putting it, in trying to hold all of those tensions to make sure that we are the very best humans for Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's a very big difference from being solely focused on children or youth ministry. So mm-hmm. my job is to be uh, a significant uh, adult for all peoples, those older than me and those younger than me. Mm. Great. Thank you, Dean. So we'll move on and, and, and begin to explore Black Panther. But I, I guess before we do, for those that maybe don't know what, what Black Panther was or who haven't seen it, could you, could you give us a little bit of a, of a summary of that? So Black Panther is an American superhero film based on the Marvel comics. Um, it was produced by Marvel and was the 18th film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It came out in 2018, February. Um, it's so etched on my mind, actually. It was the beginning of the season of Lent, almost, 2018, when it came out. It was a film that was long anticipated, was actually in the imagination from 1992 via Wesley Snipes, who some of you might have heard was Blade, which was the first African-American black superhero that we don't often talk about. Um, but Black Panther came out around because of the Black Panther movement, primarily, in the 1960s around civil rights. Some of you may have heard of that and some of the movies around that. And so it was brought to life by a director called Ryan Coogler, who really gave it a hip-hop vibe. <laughs> and for those of you who might remember 1992, some of you may not remember who are listening, but I was around in 1992 and can remember uh, some of that vibe and those dialogues and the music of that time of hip hop and oh. all that was was in there. So it's a story of a black um, featured in African, uh, a fictitious African kingdom called Wakanda. They have a valuable uh, resource in something called vibranium and they have set about trying to hold that down quietly in their kingdom and at the beginning of black panther it tells you the story of how that happens and the evolution of that particular kingdom which is quite fascinating if you've ever watched the movie and i would encourage those of you who haven't to have a look because it give fills you in much better than i can visually great thank you very much dean so you obviously said you was it opening weekend that you had saw the film yeah so i was in canada at the time and I was very, very tempted to go and see it in Canada and have a sneak preview because it came out a little bit earlier than it did in the United Kingdom. But I wanted to see it with my boy. And so I waited until I got back from Canada to go and see it. But I was very, very tempted mm. to see it in Toronto as mm. my first viewing. I subsequently managed wow. to see it seven times because I wow. just could not believe what I was seeing and it was quite a cultural experience. It wasn't just about a Marvel movie, but what it represented for the diversities of black people was a cultural phenomenon. And that for me, as someone who'd grown up and been born in England in the 60s, I'd never really seen anything like that represented 
in my childhood as such, except through music, but never cinematically. And the only closest thing that came to it, to be honest with you, Stephen, was Roots, which was in 1978. So I'm showing my age now, folks. Um, and that wasn't the greatest thing for us as black people. Shown on a Sunday night in England in 1978, I believe, a Monday morning was hell in the school playground. Um, so it wasn't the best. Yet Black Panther was not a Roots experience. It was something that caught the imagination of so, so many people. Added to the fact that it was part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Added to the fact that it was one of the highest taking Marvel uh, uh, Cinematic Universes. And was one of the top ten gross films. It grossed over 1.3 billion. Make of that what you will. So yeah, you said you obviously saw it seven times. So I wonder, do you remember what what some of those initial feelings were when you were watching it for for the first time and, and, and how you felt walking out of, of the cinema after it? I just felt like a little kid, if I'm being honest. I thought, my God, look at what is going on here. What am I looking at? Was was my key reflection when I felt what was I seeing? Here was an ensemble cast that was primarily people that looked like me as a black person. Both black men, black women, a strong ensemble in their own right. I mean, Angela Bassett, who was known for being Tina Turner in What's Love Got to Do With It. Forrest Whitaker was there as well. Um, and other up-and-coming uh, actors also black British actors, Daniel Kalua, um, and also uh, you had Letitia Wright, Winston Duke, Daniel Kalua being, I think, Ugandan heritage, Letitia Wright and Winston Duke being Caribbean heritage, but born in Britain. And then you also had Andy Serkis as well, and Martin Freeman. So this was a primarily black ensemble cast carrying a Marvel movie. That was phenomenal. I don't think people can grasp the imagination of something like that. That wasn't that, you know, things weren't that close. I mean, The Colour Purple is probably another film that probably comes close, but not in the wider public imagination. Um, and so that is why it was such a profound film. I remember just the soundtrack alone from Kendrick Lamar and and the end and the clapping in 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 the cinema mm -hmm. was unheard of that the whole vibe was a cultural experience and so it was a big deal and uh yeah I think at the end it was it was profound I think people thought what have I just witnessed here and I think people were quite emotional about it, Stephen, if I'm being honest. Mm -hmm. I think people have different stories to tell you how they felt about that movie when they saw it as a black person. Mm. This podcast series is is about looking at a, a film or a, or a TV show that has inspired either you you as a person, your work, your, your outlook, whatever it might be. So I wonder if we can then start to, to dive in a little bit. What, 
what are maybe the, some of the, the key things for you that that you when I asked you to, to come onto the podcast when you chose Black Panther what, what specifically is it about Black Panther maybe uh, the values or the themes uh, f- for you there's there's loads I think first and foremost the one thing I want to say is in the imagination of Hollywood and films and I know Stephen you've seen loads of them and you keep seeing loads of them you're a cinema buff I know that for a fact um to see black people represented in the way that they were was significant in the Eurocentric imagination of Hollywood. Mm. I think that in itself is a massive thing that we should not ever underestimate and was done by a black film director in Ryan Coogler. That is unheard of really, in cinematic history. Even with The Colour Purple, that was done by Steven Spielberg. Mm. So the first thing I have to say is, there was a shift that Hollywood did. And if you bear in mind the politics of the time of Black Panther coming out, this is post-Obama. This is not even during Obama's presidency. This Mm. is during the the Trump presidency. So just think of the situation that we are finding ourselves with. With Donald Trump being the president of the United States and all that he stands for, which is contentious even now. And then Barack Obama, who was before and all of that. And so just that melting pot and cauldron within um, American U.S. civics was massive. So that's the first thing that is paying attention to the context of when the film came out. Secondly, paying attention to the fact of Disney. Disney has not had a good representation of black characters. Mm. I can just about remember the Song of the South. And if you look at Disney Plus, you will not have the Song of the South on Disney Plus. But I can remember it from when I was a kid in the 1970s. Um... And so those whole things and and the whole depiction, even in Dumbo, of African-American people and how they were portrayed was just so negative. Somehow there was a redemptive moment in 2018, 17, when Disney was, was thinking about it. It was actually officially announced in October 2014. So that in itself was really, really, really interesting and how long it took to get to our streams. But it was one of the most anticipated films, I believe, ever within the black community that I've seen. Mm. If not in the Marvel Universe, I think as well, for a singular character of what were they going to do with this character. I think the third thing that I'd want to say as well, Stephen, is The whole film starts about the concept of home and dislocation. And it tells and spins a narrative, particularly from Kugler, who is African-American growing up in Oakland, California, West Coast vibe. Um, That whole sense of what does it mean to be home? And the depiction of Africa and the depiction of dislocation of the African-Americans through slavery, Jim Crow, civil rights, Trumpism, 
and all of that entails and that journey at the time of this podcast we're doing now Stephen they've only just made lynching an outlawed thing in the United States of America Joe Biden just signed it off in the last week I believe mm-hmm. just, just think about that just pause and think about that this is what we're dealing with when we're dealing with public imagination and films that we have to understand what is going on at the time around the conceptions of the imaginations that these films bring. And I think often we sometimes forget those backdrops. But I think I believe we need to actually engage it. So home for me, the where does African-Americans see themselves in relation to home and what that means and dislocation, lostness, loss of names through slavery, loss of names through the transatlantic passage that African-Americans and Caribbeans can I also identify with are deep significant themes within this movie. The two characters being T'Challa, you know, this respectable kind of black that, you know, plays the game, is calm, doesn't go in and, and rock the boat. And then you've got Eric Killmonger, Prince Njobu, basically, who has got that pain of seeing what happens with the displacement within a Eurocentric gaze and concept that is quite deep and massive and forms him. So two formations, one on a different continent in home, in Wakanda, being T'Challa, and the other, Killmonger, who is trying to find himself in the dislocation of a United States of America that sees him only as a mercenary, sees him only as a body to be exploited through capitalism. That's deep and profound. The other thing that I I wanted to talk about is also faith. It's right in there in front of us. It's not something that is hidden. Um, You see at the beginning of Black Panther, uh, the spirit of the, the Black Panther being buffed. And you see the the elements of spirituality present right the way through the film, right the way through in relation to dreams, right the way through into taking the herb and the body being like a temple in itself, which we read in biblical references from Paul. These are all things that we see in the story. We see a story as well with the Jabari, how they have a different understanding of deity in there so there's not a monolith so these various tribes are living with this uh what i could call a different understandings of god but trying to work it through what does that mean and killmonger who has no sense of god in a sense and so we're seeing some different layers in this story so that's another part that, that spoke to me. The other part that spoke to me was the role of women. Significant black women. We have just seen a, a, a massive, humongous cultural argument over what happened at the Oscars. And I'm not going to go into that fully now. But the one person whose voice was the most silenced was the black woman's in that whole conversation. Mm. And that should give us pause for thought. 
what is wonderful in Black Panther is we see the Queen Mother as a, a, a significant person. We see Nakia, um, King Chichala's uh, longtime friend, love interest, if you want to call it. I think he's with a lot more than that. I think it's mm. that she's an equal. Uh, Princess Shuri, the brains behind the whole of the kingdom with that amazing stuff. We're seeing capable, strong back women, the Dora Milaje, uh, that force of the king's bodyguard who are there, equal to the border tribe. But actually, the, the defenders of the kingdom, when push came to shove, more than the border tribe were. Those things of the representation of black women was a significant contribution within the film. Mm. And we should not lose sight of that because in between all of the, 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 the conversations that were going on with the men, that film could not have carried off without the black women's intervention at any stage, in my humble opinion. Mm. So it was, it, it, it was a very, very exciting film that amplified the best of black humanity but also the complexities of black humanity as well but showed our joy showed our sorrow showed how we can be how we are and what we have to bring and also that our lives have been one of resistance within a eurocentric world that has carried on and drawn us in and seen us in various ways, uh, both through the transatlantic slave trade, right the way through to being someone like a mercenary, like Eric Killmonger, who fights for the flag, but is still dislocated and is, not, is seen as other, is never quite seen as one of us fully. So those are some thoughts, Steve, Stephen, that I just thought I'd bring into the mix. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, thank you very much for that, Dean. I guess maybe, maybe to focus a little bit on on representation, and, and I think you've obviously s s spoken of that in, in terms of the, the, the strong black women that we see on the screen. And, and representation has been something that we've talked about a few times on on this podcast, specifically when it when it's came to Marvel films and the new crop of Marvel films and we, we talked a lot about that on, on Eternals. And it, it, Eternals has a number of issues with, with, with the film, but I, but I think, and, and we talked about in the podcast, one of the things it does well is, is representation and, and Disney trying to, to represent more, more cultures, more disabilities as well on screen and it not be just showing a disability, not be that tying into some kind of a superpower or anything like that. It, it, they just happen to have that. I wonder. I wonder for you then what what does representation mean for you, and and, and what was it like for you uh, seeing, as you say, a, a variety of of different black people represented in, in the film of Black Panther. I'm only going to speak for me because I can't speak for all black yeah. people. Um, yeah. One of the things that for me was just seeing somebody like me 
in popular imagination. Mm-hmm. That was expansive. That was more than... You know, Denzel Washington's Oscar was for Trading Day. You couldn't get more fuggish than that. And yet he did Malcolm X, which I think was his seminal piece of work, personally speaking. Um, I, I think... What Ryan Coogler did was he wove a tapestry, an unfinished tapestry of representation, because I think the disabilities aspect wasn't fully explored at all in relation to black bodies within Mm -hmm. that movie. I think I need to say that. And yet we've had some phenomenal black disabled persons, one of them being my favourite artist, Stevie Wonder. and, and others as well. So I would just want to say that Ryan Coogler went there as much as he was able to between gender. Mm-hmm. What we didn't also see was human sexuality. I think that probably was going to be challenging for, for various reasons that I'm not going to go into at the moment because I think there are others that are more qualified than me to speak on that. But I would just say that that is something that we we had to look at it. He introduced us to black faith in the sense of not necessarily locating it in a Christian concept. No, that's massive. <laughs> I don't think you can you, you can really not understand how big that is on film. You didn't see the gospel singers like you saw in the colour purple in that moving scene in the colour purple of the time of repentance between uh, father and daughter. That wasn't part of Black Fanfare. Yet there was elements of faith, resurrection, hope, hopelessness, death, truth, lies, all of those things that were in there that embodied black experience. So for me, I would want to say that when, when I was seeing some of those internal dialogues I have been having as a human of on this planet for over 50 years I saw elements of it on screen in that movie which were really important not just for representation's sake but for imagination and mental well-being Mm -hmm. because I think sometimes we think representation is it it's not it's beyond it's, as the Sci-Fi Channel used to say, imagine greater. And I think that is what was really profound about that movie. It got people to imagine greater, not just black people, but also white people. Also, a significant thing that we miss out in that film is what happened in Korea, in Busan. You wouldn't necessarily associate a conversation between a black African woman and a Korean woman like you did in Busan when they were going after Claw. And so we are also not just internal, but we are quite visionary. And there is a visionary aspect to that where we are internationalists by not only our history, but our present. So those are some of the things that are coming out to me, Stephen, when I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, yeah, 
I inhabit a whole world. I'm not just a compartment. Mm. Thank you. I know you'd, you'd said as well that you, was it was it your son that you had wanted to see it with? Yeah, and my daughter as well afterwards. And your daughter as well, sorry, yeah. So obviously obviously not to, to speak for them, but I wonder if you could share anything of, of some of the conversation that you you feel is appropriate that you might have had with them and, and the impact that it had on them at all. I, I think they, one of the things that they did say to me was, Daddy, why did you go see the film so many times? And I think that was a really insightful comment. They're always insightful, my kids, anyway, about their old man. Um, but one of the things is they, they, they understood about seeing a representation of themselves, or at least part of themselves, on screen, which was critical. And I think they were excited because I was excited. <laughs> mm. You know, what made the old man go down to the movie and see one film a few <laughs> times, you know? What was it, Pops? And they saw it. And then with the soundtrack itself from Kendrick Lamar and Scissor at the end was just really profound. It was just so who we are. It was, it was imaginative, the whole soundtrack. Um, Kendrick Lamar sums it up in, in two words, the Wakanda flex, <laughs> um, which which was deep. And so the kids could see something was going on with this movie that wasn't normal about other Marvel movies. Yes, they've been and seen the other Marvel movies, but they only saw Black Panther or the other characters as bit parts. Hmm. Blackness wasn't a central part of the engagement and also when we say blackness we have to talk about whiteness and the effects of whiteness too in how it interlopes in the storyline that Kugler gives us especially around the character of the characters of Claw and Agent Ross both representing a threat um, one seemingly benign and an ally, but the other quite an existential threat, mm. which I find quite interesting. And also, I think the, the other interesting part of that was the museum scene, which we are still dealing with now. Why is it that Britain feels that it can still have artifacts that are not British on British soil? What makes them think they can just? And those are very live questions that the film asks. At one stage, Martin Freeman is even called a colonizer. <laughs> Those are things that, as black peoples, and maybe some of my brown siblings, this would not have necessarily have been said overtly in any other Hollywood films. The whole issues that this film came out during the time of Donald Trump's presidency I think is in itself a serious narrative that we we need to think about with all that was going on with the African-American communities during that time mm. was deeply painful and retrograde. Um, so I think for me, representation is just one part. I think it's what the film embodies. That's really, really important. And that other 
people like myself and others could be part of that embodiment more than other MCU films. Mm. We felt this was our story rather than we were a bit part on someone else's narrative. And that's what made this film, for me, a game changer. What do you feel has been the legacy, then, of of this film? Do you feel it's changed anything or, or highlighted anything within within culture or, or, or in any other way, would you say? I think one of the key things is that it has given people a screen voice that they never had in such a dramatic way. With a multi-billion pound franchise being Marvel. I think everybody thought Robert Downey Jr., that's it, Iron Man, you know? Mm. <laughs> then we had Captain America, yeah, done. But remember, this was in the the mind's eye of from 1992 and i love and so that whole thing and it took so long from the, from the marvel's pantheon to come out even it took ages so we were layered upon layered with a eurocentric superhero all the way through which talks about capitalism and militarism, really, with Iron Man and Captain America, which is quite interesting in itself. And then Black Panther comes in there, caught up in the midst of all of this global uh, contretemps, so to speak, and 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 having to to be part of what side are you on? Choose which side are you on? Civil War, being the case in point. So I think it was massive. I think it was massive culturally. I think you've got some amazing people coming out, expressing themselves through blogs, through Twitter, through social media, theologically. Um, we, we saw people finding their voices, particularly black voices. They were already there, but they were amplified i believe as a result of this movie and and what it did people found their voice people found a confidence people found a sense of self mm. even further despite the dislocation despite against the odds of of a flourishing and so that's what i would say to that a little bit Stephen. Mm. and in your previous role, were you able to use this film at all, or, or even with what you're doing now, have you had experiences with you? I was naughty, really, because when I went for my Bishop's Advisory Panel, I actually spoke on this juxtaposed with Hebrews <laughs> chapter 11 and the Heroes of Faith. Mm. So I actually spoke about this as my presentation. <laughs> and I, I often bring in that whole thing, because it's really good when you can show film clips, like the dialogue between Killmonger and T'Challa at the end. Mm. That, is, that, that, that moment 
that that conversation at the end of Black Panther was something that I would use. It's a dialogue that is a continuing dialogue. That dialogue didn't just end there. That dialogue went beyond the screen and is still a dialogue that people are talking about now in various forms in civic society. Mm. There's the dialogues that have been formed between African, Caribbean, European heritage black people and African-American people. That's a serious dialogue. I know that my African-born siblings would have a different take on the Afrofuturism that that film portrays. And I think we have to understand that it's from, it's from Ryan Coogler's experiences, having gone to Africa a few times to make the film, but it's still not... It, it's from a different place still. It's from a different perspective, mm. vantage point. So we also have to understand that there's those dialogues that are going in there and people for, who are African heritage, born there, born in the United Kingdom, that are finding a distinct voice and contribution to the diversity, which is um, African heritage across diaspora and continent. Mm. So I think I think it, I think it, it, it was it was a radical film more than we know now. Others might disagree with me on this podcast that how radical it was, but I'm seeing it again from a black perspective lens growing up um, as a minority, but facing out to the global majority heritage part of my wider siblings being Africa and the Caribbean and the US. Nobody ever questions the, the Anglo clusters and conversations that you guys can have in relation to cinema tech cinemographic history which is very much a dialogue between europe and europeans in the in in the continent of the united states and european um in in the continent of africa through colonialism settlement and conquest but we don't talk about that <laughs> but i think we need to talk about it because i think that's something that we 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 bring as a given to our cinematography and also our imaginative lenses of how we deal with film. And we just need to be careful of our biases, mm. especially I see how youth ministers sometimes use it. I would say sometimes I want to put my hands up and say that's a very specific lens. And a lot of the black kids that sometimes are in, uh, are in youth clubs or youth ministry contexts within predominantly urban areas but even rural areas sometimes don't even get a look in by the choice and the cultural bias and lens that the youth workers might bring mm. and i guess picking up on that what kind of ways would you challenge a youth worker or or help a, a youth worker to be more open or more aware of their biases was that was that something you did in in your previous role at all yeah yeah absolutely i always i mean stephen you know me from old i always ask those questions as long as you've known me mm. sometimes being the lone voice asking those questions which has been quite scary um there have been others who have also asked those questions of the anglo homogeneity of 
youth ministry that seems to be a white cultural transatlantic experience um but we don't often talk about that because because it's never interrogated it's never reflected on i've always asked those questions both publicly and privately of people hopefully in a safe way sometimes i've had to call it out publicly because i actually think actually we need to do better here there's no excuse so what i would say is just practically when you are showing your movies obviously who's your audience if you've got a predominantly white audience that does not mean to say that black imagination cannot be a part of that because we've already had that done to us for generations <laughs> so there is you i'm sure we can show a different perspective what we're dealing with is a different face of humanity and sometimes having that different face of humanity will help in our iconography and what we understand our sense of self to be in a global world not just a european continent or an island like these islands here in the united kingdom there's something a little bit more that i think we need to interrogate that i don't often see that self-awareness that goes on so having an audit why am i showing this what are my cultural biases what are my lenses not everybody loves grunge not everybody <laughs> loves hip-hop either um what are we dealing with here in what we are even down to our, our psalmody our worship music who are we elevating to show who are our heroes and dare i say it our idols who is it that we're showing how can we have that diversity of what we read whom we read how can we just do a journey and say what is it i don't know hmm. rather than who i know or what i know and i think sometimes that's the default that I've seen being around youth ministry for many, many years. Um, and that's a concern that we're not really dealing with and, and still people choose it as an optional extra rather than the mandatory nature of what it should be of part of who we are as people of faith and believers in Christ. And I feel very strongly about that. Mm. And I feel that often I've heard excuses that really are poor are really poor and we have not moved forward so in some ways i think Stephen, if i'm being honest we've moved backwards you just take up any youth ministry book now and look at it and ask yourself the fundamental question apart from the stock photos of diversity who is it that we're really talking about mm. who are on our platforms who are we giving our money to I just put that out there as a reflective practitioner. Yeah, no, that's a, a really challenging and, 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 and sobering thought, but really important. And, and, and thank you for that, that, Dean. Even as you're speaking, it, get, yeah, it gets me thinking of, of the things I'm, I'm reading and, 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 and looking at. And again, I, I, I continually try to, to make sure I'm, aware and, and challenging myself but but I, but, but, but having me here Stephen let, let, don't don't beat yourself up too much bro <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's part of that dialogue it's when mm. we have the meeting 
and we break bread together like we're doing on this podcast. This is where it counts. Who are the people that you break bread with the most? Who have you? Who are you not breaking bread with? Mm. Why and how can you get to that stage of doing that in a more authentic and and constructive way that is honouring to both persons in the dialogue and in the mm. journey? And I maintain yeah. that conversation still. So, Stephen, yeah. We can always do better on everything. I can do better. But I'm just saying to you, what you've done is a different way of being in approaching me to do this. We need to see this replicated all the way through the different strands and layers in our imaginations. Mm. That's where it counts. Yeah, thank you. So so moving on and, and, and to kind of begin to just wrap things up, obviously we have... Black Panther 2, I think is it, I'm, I'm thinking next year. I don't think it's to the world's end of this year. I think potentially... The 11th of 2022, I believe. Oh, so it is the end of this year. Right, okay. So what are your your hopes for that film? Obviously, uh, we no longer have Chadwick Boseman, who, who sadly lost his life. Chadwick, what an amazing actor. Oh, mm. my word. I was watching him the other day singing an old Marvin Gaye song, God is My Friend, from a movie. And uh, he really embodied Black Panther in such a profound way. Uh, I think people have their different iterations of Bond who they like. I don't think we can ever forget Chadwick's contribution to the Marvel Cinematic Universe as Black Panther. And uh, in his honour, I, w- I would say Wakanda forever. Mm. Chadwick is, is just amazing. So sorry, I just had to say something about the great Chadwick Boseman. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So obviously with with him missing from the, f- the film and his presence, I'm sure will be very much felt in the sequel. What are your, do you have any hopes for for the sequel and, and, and where it might go and, and maybe what it might seek to, to, to bring to the table and, and to challenge or any thoughts on that? I, so in the, the storyline of Black Panther from the comics and stuff, watch the character of Shuri. I think, you know, th- I'm curious how Shuri's character develops. I'm curious about the relationship with the Jabari. Mm. that you could also build and where they might come in i'm curious around uh, how wakanda looks outwards and what that outward looking looks like because at the end of the film you know t'challa was going to start to do things more in the inner cities and neighborhoods and Mm. education but I all we also noted in in some of the 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 MCU movies at the end that the Wakandans were very key in some of the fights that were had as well, which was really interesting because they don't usually get involved in global issues; they're mm. more isolationist. So I'm curious as to where that's going to be taken, all of those strands. But definitely um, looking at Nakia. Shuri, the 
the evolution of the kingdom without the king <laughs> is going to be really interesting. Um, and so I'm just I'm, I'm going to be fascinated and I'm just going to be glued at a cinema, just like hopefully a few other millions of people. <laughs> mm. But Chadwick will be missed. Yeah, mm, definitely. So thank you for this discussion, Dave. We'll begin to, to, wrap, to wrap things up. Is there anything that, what, just to, to give you space, is there anything that you, you want to to share or talk about that you don't feel we have given space to as yet before we do wrap things up? I think one of the things that I want to say um, particularly uh, to people is the importance of the arts and how we curate the arts, whether we be a youth worker, a church leader, and what we bring to the table, I think is, is a next level conversation that we need to be having, which is more than just certain arts festival that goes on the bank holiday Monday um, in Northamptonshire. Um, I think there is something about how we expand the arts for to a more global perspective rather than just a Eurocentric one that has been the dominant default of places of worship, particularly um, in our cathedrals, in our parish churches, in our congregational churches, how we are using the arts. It's interesting about how the spoken word is used and who speaks the spoken word. Uh, something I've noticed, just check out some people who speak the spoken word and who brings in black cultures into or mediates those spaces. I think we need a serious conversation about those in the coming months. I think we also, I would say, need to think about um, our music. I mean, just looking at the Grammys and the best reggae group was not somewhere from the Caribbean. <laughs> and mm. it's caused some consternation from the black communities about the question of appropriation. And that is something that we're not really dealing with. And one of the things I love about this movie is that it forced us to deal with some questions that we wouldn't normally have dealt with in any other Marvel film. And some people don't like this film precisely for that because they don't know how to place themselves. Yet I would turn the... Uh, flip it over and ask this is what someone like me has been doing for years <laughs> mm. and what does that do for the imagination of the the black youngster or the mixed heritage youngster in your youth group if you're not attending to those things honestly within yourself and i think that we've got to be very very careful Stephen, very mm. very careful because we have a duty of care to all young people regardless of their identities within our, our settings. And so, you know, like you, I too need to be better, but I too have, in some ways, a greater responsibility being a church leader because I have a power of curation, curation, I have a power of mediation, and it's very interesting who decides what and where. 
um, what what sort of worship music we listen to, guitar worship. Yeah, okay. And <laughs> um, we, we we who's up on a platform? Is that is is your platform teams a visual representation of both your mission objectives and your pastoral objectives? Or do you feel that that's not an important question to ask? These are the things that I want people to start to critically reflect on as practitioners, as well as consumers mm. of the arts. Great. Well, well, thank you again, Dean, for your your thoughts and your, your comments and, and for this, this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to, to spend this with me and, and, and to discuss it this film and I look forward to hopefully discussing it with you, uh, discussing Black Panther 2 uh, potentially with you when it, when it comes out and to hear your, your thoughts on, on that as well. That'll be great Stephen, thanks so much for having me and Wakanda forever everybody <laughs> Thanks again to Dean Pusey for joining me to discuss Black Panther What did you think of our conversation and the topics and themes that we discussed? Did you agree or disagree with them, or is there something else that you wish we had said about it? Please do get in touch with us on Twitter, at RealFaithPod, or on our Facebook page as well, at RealFaithPod. And what did you think of our episode? Please feel free to comment on Twitter, on Facebook as well. Or if you're a youth worker and you'd like to come on and discuss a film or a TV show or a piece of music that has really inspired you in your life and your work, then please also do get in contact with us. If you've enjoyed the episode, please do subscribe and give us a positive review as that helps others see the podcast. But thank you again for listening and look out for another episode coming soon.